is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Sarah Abbott is working from the hangar in Bristol, Connecticut. And Taylor Schwenk, the reverend, is working from the pulpit. We got a big show today. Dana Brown, the new general manager of the Astros, is going to join us. A.J. Preller, general manager of the San Diego Padres. Rob Thompson, manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. Paul Embicati, Sarah Langs. So we got a lot to get to today. Let's don't waste any time uh, off the top. Uh, Dodgers uh, president and CEO Stan Kasten told reporters this week that cutting Trevor Bauer was, quote-unquote, the right decision And I keep on asking people around baseball, do you think that Trevor Bauer is going to find a spot with the team? And I keep on getting back uniformly, no, they don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Yesterday, we learned that the Baltimore Orioles have declined a Camden Yards extension, but in announcing that, they joined the governor of Maryland, Wes Moore, uh, in noting that they will continue these negotiations. They're looking for a long-term deal rather than a one-time five-year extension. So this is uh, the Orioles continuing to indicate that they want to stay in Baltimore uh, for the uh, foreseeable future. Jeff McNeil and the Mets agreed the other day to a four-year $50 million extension. Pete Fairbanks of the Rays got $12 million in a three-year deal with Tampa Bay. The Red Sox traded uh, reliever Matt Barnes to the Marlins for Richard Blyer who will be part of the Red Sox bullpen moving forward. The Seattle Mariners reached a three-year extension with utility man Dylan Moore. And looking at this deal, three years, $8.875 million, and looking at the Mariners roster, I have an observation about this team because I'm starting to fall in love with the, the group of players they have on this team. Chad Green got two years, $8.5 million with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's not going to be a factor early in the year because he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. Heck, he might. It's no guarantee he's actually going to pitch at all this year. Uh, this is a case where the Jays are buying a year of security with Green, you know, in the hope that uh, he's going to help maybe at the end of this year and then certainly in 2024. Braves manager Brian Snitker got an extension through the 2025 season. My son, who loves playing the show, was excited about this. Jazz Chisholm is uh, going to be on the cover of MLB The Show 23. That announcement came earlier this week. There were some retirements. Longtime reliever Darren O'Day, a great pro, announced he's hanging up the spikes. And so did Dexter Fowler, who will always be remembered for this moment, First inning, game seven of that incredible 2016 World Series between the Cleveland Indians and Dexter Fowler, Chicago Cubs. Give a listen. That's in the air to center. Back at the wall. It is gone. What a start. Dexter Fowler, hello, in game seven. one nothing Chicago. Taylor, what else you got? O'Day, 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 O'Day. Great Oriole, Darren O'Day. We got an absolutely stacked lineup of podcasts in the NBA sphere. You've got the CJ McCollum show, the VC show with Vince Carter, the Low Post, and Brian Windhorse in the Hoop Collective. The Hoop Collective is three days a week, the Low Post twice a week. We're coming up on the trade deadline, all-star game, all of that. You want to check out all four of those programs wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. 
And Hambo is Paul Ambikidi's uh, researcher at ESPN, someone who has enormous influence on Mike Greenberg. In fact, we kind of wonder if, if uh, Greeny has any original thoughts. I, I'm starting to fall in love with the Seattle Mariners a little bit. I'm starting to fall in love with their pitching, uh, their lineup depth. Just looking at their team in recent days, I'm like, you know, that, that team is really interesting. With one caveat, I do think during the course of the year, they're going to need to get another good left-handed power hitter in the middle of the lineup to protect Rodriguez. What say you? I agree with every word that you just said. I, I know for sure that they're going to really be able to pitch. A full year of Luis Castillo with that ridiculous bullpen. I mean, front to back, they might have a staff with better stuff, however we want to quantify that, than maybe any in baseball. I mean, they have guys coming out of the bullpen, bullpen that throw a billion, and Every single pitcher in their starting rotation is good at something different. I really like that variance. I think it's especially effective as you see a team in a series because you're getting all sorts of different looks. But what I like most about their offseason is that they're attacking a big problem that they had with volume. So last year they ranked 18th in run scoring. They ranked 25th in producing runs without the benefit of the homer. So what do they do? Teoscar Hernandez, Wong, A.J. Pollock. They bought low. I like the idea of, of attacking a problem with volume and not assuming, say, that Jared, Kem uh, Jared Kelnick is all of a sudden going to start figuring it out. They're not leaving stuff to chance this year. Given how close and how good they were a season ago, that team is legit. I mean, I think you're looking at a, I don't know, 90 to 95 win club. We know Houston's going to be really great. But if Houston takes a step back and, and Seattle takes a step forward, it wouldn't stun me at all if they wound up winning the American League West. Yeah, I think top to bottom, the American League East, the National League East are better divisions but, man, it's going to be tough to get out of the West with the Mariners and, and the, uh, uh, the Mariners and the Astros and with the Rangers and Angels clearly trying to win. Uh, and it is, it'll be a fun division to watch this year. All right, uh, let's talk about best bets for MVP and Cy Young Award for 2023. Start with the American League. Okay, Buster, these are not necessarily the people that I think will win, they're the players who I think whose odds provide you the best value if you are one predisposed to betting on these things. I think that Corey Seager at 22 to 1 is the best value on the board. So according to our friends over at Sports Info Solutions, he lost 25 hits to the ship last season. <laughs> that was 10 more than any other hitter in baseball. That's the difference between hitting 245, which he did, and hitting 287. Look, look, let's, let's get rid of the, the noise, right? His expected Woba, when you take into account all of the attributes of his batted ball stuff and his plate discipline, it was slightly better than Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt won MVP of the National League last season. Look, this guy's a superstar. He was the MVP of the 2020 NLCS, the MVP of the 2020 World Series. He's going to be hitting second in the lineup with Marcus Simeon hitting behind him. That team, like you said, is going to be better. I think Corey Seager at 22-1 to is a great bet to win the MVP. What say you? I like the bet. I thought you were going when I when I saw your list of potential topics. I thought you were going with who you were going to pick to win the MVP. Okay, early on in the American League, which seemed easy to me. I mean, there's one of two guys, right? You're going Otani or Judge. You're going Otani or Judge. I think those guys are obviously number one and two in terms of the likeliest people to do it. Otani is the player that you would absolutely choose to bet on. I went a little bit further down the board. And I found Corey Seager there. When it comes to the American League Cy Young, I'm going to give you Kevin Gossman and sell you on Kevin Gossman at 18-1, to 1, Buster. He was the unluckiest pitcher in baseball last season. Take a look at this. His FIP was 2.38. That led the American League. His ERA was 3.35, nearly a full run higher, thanks to a batting average on balls in play, a BABIP of 364. That was the highest BABIP any pitcher has allowed in the last 100 years. <laughs> okay, he led the league in strikeout to walk rate. 
And of his 205 strikeouts, 126 of them came with that splitter. Their, de- their defense is going to be way better with Dalton Varsho and Kevin Kiermaier. He's in, Luck is going to swing back in his direction. I think he's going to have a monster season. Alec Manoa is a pitcher that a lot of people like on that team in that division. I think he's the best one. I think Kevin Gosman could win the American League Cy Young Award. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think Bo Bichette has to play better at shortstop. I think they gave up a lot with Bo Bichette defensively at short last year, and he's a young player, and we'll see if he gets better. I, I actually think that the uh, pick to win the American League Cy Young Award is fairly apparent. We've already mentioned his name, Luis Castillo. What do you think? Luis Castillo is a great one. I mean, that, that guy was dominant uh, once they traded for him in Seattle. I, I I view him as a pitcher whose stuff in any given year can play up to the extent that he could absolutely win. The, the, and he's also so incredibly durable. I see a path for him to win 16 to 18 games for sure with excellent peripherals. I, I, I like the pick a lot. I hadn't considered him as strongly as you did. Uh, he would definitely be in my like handful of guys that would qualify as such. He's, his odds are better than Kevin Gosman's, but Luis Castillo is absolutely on the short list of guys that could win that thing. Let's go National League. I like Austin Riley Buster at 14 to 1. So he finished seventh in 2021 and sixth last year in the voting and played 319 games across those two seasons. So we know he's coming and we know he posts every single day. Total bases is my favorite cumulative uh, hitting stat. That's what Henry, uh, Henry Aaron uh, always said was the stat that mattered most to him. Austin Riley has more of those over the last two years than any hitter in baseball. And what I like most about Austin Riley, and you've done some some um, stuff on Austin Riley in the past, he's improving in small ways that really add yep. up. So last season, he posted the highest walk rate of his career, and not coincidentally, the lowest um, chase rate of his career. His quality of contact is absurd. If those numbers continue to get better, he's going to have a year where he uh, you know scores 100 runs, hits 45 bombs with 120 RBI. Acuna's hitting in front of him, Harris is hitting in front of him, and Olsen's hitting behind him. I think this might be be the year that Austin Riley wins the MVP of the National League. Yeah, Austin Riley's someone who clearly uh, attacks his profession in the way he reminds me of Paul Goldschmidt, actually. Mm. You know, uh, in terms of there, he just looks at each element of his game and he's constantly trying to get better. And that's part of the reason why the Braves were interested in drafting him, why they've, they've, uh, at times when he struggled, their, their internal conversation been just wait, just wait. He's someone who constantly works. My son was trying to sell me actually yesterday, coincidentally, on Matt Olson as an MVP candidate. And I'm like, nah, he's not that type of, he tends to have some peaks and valleys. I'm not ready to go there. I think the most obvious choice for National League MVP is Manny Machado. What do you mm. think? Manny Machado is seemingly a finalist every single year. He's going to have a lot more RBI opportunities this year, presumably if Fernando Tatis is healthy. The team is going to be really good. He's playing for a new contract. Machado is probably the favorite. I just think when you look at Austin Riley's profile with those odds, with the way that he – like the thing about Riley is he gets better every year. So I'm going to continue to bet on that stock until I see that start the flat line. Manny Machado, we know, is a full-fledged superstar who's going to the Hall of Fame, who in a contract year might wind up having the best season of his career. I like it a lot. Yeah, coming up, we'll be talking with A.J. Preller, general manager of the Padres, about Manny Machado and his contract situation. I think what A.J. says, he went a little further in this than I expected him to when we when we talked to him the other day. All right, National League side. I like Julio Orias at 18-1. to This is the Dodgers' ace. We thought it was going to be Walker Buehler. Of course, he got hurt. You know, Clinton Kershaw sort of handed him the baton. But Julio Orias is saying, what about me, guys? I mean, last year I led the National League in the RA+. It was the first sub-one whip season of my career. We know that team is going to be great. 
and so is he. The run prevention is outstanding. The base runner avoidance is outstanding. He's going to pitch this season at 26 years old. He's been in our consciousness forever because he was such a prodigious prospect. But he's just really entering his prime right now. The innings have finally reached a point where he's going to be able to accumulate high strikeout totals and high win totals. I think this guy's as good a bet as anybody to win the Cy Young in the National League based on how good that team is and based on his trajectory. I'm going to go Captain Obvious and and look for a repeat performance from Sandy Alcantara. Uh, To me, he's the absolute horse. He's the modern-day Roy Halladay in the National League. Does that make sense? It makes sense. What I need to do for you, Buster, is look into how pitchers perform the season after throwing that many innings for the first time in their careers. If there's a track record of guys who bounce back and are able to replicate it, I'm absolutely on board. What would worry me about Alcantara's workload last year is that that was so much to do and so much to duplicate year over year. That's actually a pretty good research study. I have to consider him among the favorites for sure. The combination of dominance and durability was sir. I want to make sure that he's not going to tail off just based upon recent precedent. Before you go off and ruin someone's life, uh, i got some quick hitters for you. Rob Thompson, coming up, the man, the Phillies manager. Uh, what, uh, what thoughts do you have about him as he goes into his first full year? That guy got everything right as manager of the Phillies until Game 6 of the World Series. And if it weren't for Rob Thompson, they're not even reaching the playoffs, let alone Game 6 of the World Series. That team played at a 95-win pace from the day that he took over at the beginning of June. And here's what I knew. Here's when I knew that this team was different than all the others and Rob Thompson was better than all the others. This team went 32-20 and 20 in the two months that Bryce Harper missed. I remember the day after Bryce Harper's injury, he got hit in the hand by that Blake Snell fastball, right? You asked me on this podcast, could the Phillies sustain it? And I said, absolutely not. They don't have the depth to absorb that kind of injury. They rudder the ship. They went 12 games over 500 with their best player, the National League MVP from the season before, out. He came back. He bought into the system. Rob Thompson steadied the ship and did as good a job managing that club as any I have seen in my baseball lifetime. Yeah, I remember when they fired Joe Girardi, put in Rob, and I know those both those guys for a long time. You know, my feeling was this is a case of the Philly scapegoating. Boy, was I wrong. I, I mean, he really clearly did make a, have an impact on the players um, and how they uh, you know went about their day to day business. All right, we're also going to be talking with Dana Brown, who's the new general manager of the Houston Astros. He's someone who, you know, in working uh, for the Braves in recent years, drafted Spencer Strider, uh, drafted Michael Harris, Vaughn Grissom, Bryce Elder. None of those guys, Hembo, were first-round picks. They were. It's getting extraordinary value, and I actually thought of Dana the other day, I was driving around and I was hearing about how well the, the Chiefs have done, how well the Eagles have done in terms of maximizing value of the pick, no matter where it is. His resume is magnificent. I mean, the, the, from, from soup to nuts, like places that he's been, players that he's evaluated, players that they've signed, scouted, etc. I mean, he has hit more home runs than practically anyone in position like that across baseball. Uh, he's been a, a huge part of enabling the Braves to become what they have become. And let's face it. Right now, given the amount of dollars being thrown to high-priced free agents, those guys are going to price out two dozen teams in baseball now. At least that's how teams in baseball spend or elect not to spend. What the Braves have done and what the Astros have done and will continue to do with him as their general manager is play the more traditional game. The scouting, the player development, let's build from within. Let's sign our young guys to extensions before they're eligible for free agency. Let's capitalize on their prime years. Let's build a culture so that they want to stay here. 
Like, I mean, some people view that as almost pernicious with how well the Braves have done in terms of locking up their young players. I view it as the opposite. I view that as baseball. For as long as we've had a minor league system, for as long as Branch Rickey has conceived the idea, that's been the best and most sustainable way to build a baseball team. The Houston model works. The Braves model works. And I think Dana Brown's going to do an excellent job in Houston. He's going to have some big decisions to make with you know players um, approaching free agency down there. I have no doubt that he is the man for the job, and I think he'll do an excellent job in keeping that thing. And they've been good for now more than five years. The best team in baseball, obviously, the science ceiling scandal was awful. But winning the uh, championship last year, I think, softens it to some degree. They're going to keep rolling. This guy really knows what he's doing. You got a minute left. Give me one quick thought on next year's Hall of Fame class, which in my mind should include a guy who might be unanimous selection in Adrian Beltre. Adrian Beltre should be unanimous. Uh, he, among all third basemen that have ever played, nobody has more hits. Nobody ever scored more runs. Nobody ever drove in more runs, collected more total bases, or hit more doubles. He's also number one defensive run saved in the history of the metric. I think Joe Maurer's absurd production as a catcher over a 10-year span puts him uh, on a list of guys that might well wind up uh, being elected to the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. He led the major leagues uh, in batting average twice. All other catchers in history have combined to do that once. And my boy Chase Utley is going to get a lot of love because he's so well-loved by the metrics. When you look at his uh, resume in comparison to really all second basemen in the history of baseball, there really aren't that many that have been able to blend the kind of postseason production that he generated and the kind of peak from 2005 to 2009. He led the Phillies in war in all five of those seasons. And one of them, Jimmy Rollins, won the MVP. And one of them, Ryan Howard, won the MVP. Very similar to Scott Rowland. A lot of the more modern voters, the guys who value the metrics, I think you're going to look at Chase Utley as a case like Scott Rowland. And over the course of time, he might get in the Hall of Fame too. Yeah, I think uh, Chase Utley getting at the Hall of Fame, eventually that speech will be your best chance of being mentioned in a speech since you missed out on Cal Ripken. You oh, know? I'm going to be yeah. his presenter, for God's sake. Uh, I've already written the speech, Buster. <laughs> See you, man. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dana Brown is the new general manager of the Houston Astros. Uh, Danny, you got this job last week, and you, which means you got about 25 hours of work in every 24-hour workday with spring training so close. So thanks so much for the time. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate you, appreciate you guys having me. All right. So tell me 
uh, you know, in the aftermath of a life-changing event like this, you're going to hear from a bunch of people. Who was the coolest person that you heard from uh, in the aftermath of getting this job? Uh, you know, congratulations. Well, you know, my phone blew up, you know, and uh, I was like, man, I'm getting so many messages. And of course, I got like a ton of friends, ton of scout friends in baseball. But the one that really got me was when uh, Dave Dombrowski sent me a uh, text and, and, and like kind of welcomed me in. And I was like, man, that's pretty special, you know, because you, you know, Dave's had a successful run as a GM. And I remember up in Toronto when we did the price trade and we were on the phone, uh, him and Alex. And so but when he sent the text, I was like, wow, you know, that's pretty special. You know, the baseball GM, when he sends you that text message, I it was, he was the one that really uh, stepped uh, stood out. And I'm guessing you probably heard from some players that you had a you know a voice in drafting uh, after you got that job. Oh yeah, uh, Harris texted me, of course. Grissom texted me. Um, you know, there was you know players that I played with that texted me in the, from the past. You know, people like Mo Vaughn and of course Biggio and Valentin. Uh, so, I mean, I, 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 I think I got over 700 text messages. I, it was, wow. It's unbelievable. I'm still cleaning it up and I'm apologizing to people like, hey, I'm just getting to this. You know? But I think it's just uh, I have a group of people that I know that are really pulling for me. That's that's really awesome. I'm curious, you know, Rob Thompson has joined us on the podcast here today, too. Um, and he tells a story about how when Aaron uh, Boone got the Yankees job over him uh, going in 2018, Rob's thought was, you know what, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to be a big league manager. I'm curious about you because you're you know, close to the same age and I am. Was there any point where you felt like, you know what, I, maybe it's just not going to happen being a major league general manager? Yeah, I, I guess what happened is when you turn 50 and it, it, it hasn't happened, I know I interviewed in 2010 with the Mets and then again in 2015 with Seattle. And I thought I did a really good job in Seattle and I was a little frustrated that I didn't get it. And I remember Rob Manford came up to the box in Toronto during the postseason and he asked to speak to me and I stepped out of the, uh, the GM's box and he said, hey, stay the course. You know, I, I I heard that you did very well. I know they went in another direction, but, you know, keep at it. And so I just, you know, pretty much put my head down and kept trucking. And, um, you know, it ended up happening. So I'm excited about it. It, it did look like a dark road there at times, though. It, it sounds like that that conversation, uh, you know, that attaboy uh, from Rob Manfred was important to you. Yes, it was very important because, you know, I thought, like I said, I had a good interview with Seattle. And, um, you know, I walked out of there and I told my wife, I said, hey, I, I thought I did very well today. And, you know, when I didn't get the job, I was a little frustrated. And then um, I didn't even expect Rob Manford to come up and, and, and give me some encouragement. In fact, I think Alex Anthopoulos was surprised because we were in the GM box in uh, Toronto at the time. And some of the other baseball ops people were, were in there and they were like, oh, my God, Manford wants to talk to Dana Brown. <laughs> And so it was very encouraging, very encouraging. So Dusty Baker knows everybody. Like, you know, he's one of those people, he could write, a, when you have a conversation with him, he brings up about a thousand people from Jimi Hendrix to, you know, <laughs> you know, other celebrities to, you know, of course, uh, Hank Aaron. 
I'm curious about if you had any kind of relationship with him in the past before all this happened and, and what, uh, you know, what's always jumped out at you about Dusty? Yeah, so I met Dusty at the Buck O'Neill Scouts Association. Uh, they do that every year. And uh, I forget what year it was, but I got a chance to talk to him a little bit. And then I talked to him a little bit on the phone after I got the job. And uh, I mean, he's an outstanding baseball guy. And you got to remember, I grew up, I was born in 67. I grew up watching baseball in the 70s. And Dusty Baker was a big time player. So I knew who he was. And then I, I knew he was a great baseball man. I had heard so many good things from people like Omar Minaya about Dusty Baker. And then when we started to talk, we just hit it off. And, you know, we were pretty much speaking the same language. And, you know, we said, hey, we're not we're not going to be afraid to tell each other, hey, what we think. And we'll keep an open book. And uh, it was a great conversation. And I don't know you as well as I know Dusty, but it does strike me you're similar in that you're very aware of numbers, but you also really believe in in evaluating people, which I, you know, I tell people all the time that Dusty, yeah, he's a great baseball manager, but he's a people person. Um, yeah. As you as you go into this job, I'm curious about because you know there's so many so much conversation about the balance uh, analytics versus you know the human element to it. Describe your perspective on that if you can. Yeah. So I, I think, and, and what I've said in the past is, I you have to weigh all the evidence. You know, uh, you know whether it's the analytics, whether it's the scouting reports. And a big part of it's the makeup. And that goes to the person, you know, ultimately you're buying into people in this job. And if, if you don't trust the person, meaning the player in this case, um, it's very difficult to go with them. And so I'm a big people's person. I try to get to know the players even before we draft them. Uh, I like to talk to them. I like to engage and see, you know, where their mindset is. And so before I buy into a person, I, I really want to get to know them. And I think that's a big part of the job. And um, that's part of my strength is getting to know the people. And that's what I heard from Alex Anthopoulos, who, you know, your former boss with Atlanta, you know, and uh, when Spencer Strider's promoted the big leagues, Michael Harris promoted the big leagues, Von Grissom, he's like, you know, I sound like a broken record, but Dana Brown believed in these guys. You know, when I asked him about it, and the story that you told at the Baseball Writers Awards the other night about Michael Harris was a great example of that. As you know, a lot of your peers looked at that strong arm that he has and, and projected him as a pitcher. But you watched him and you watch his body language, the way he competes. He's kind of like a middle linebacker uh, in how he attacks each moment. Uh, and you saw a position player. Can you just tell that story? Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I can remember like in my scouting experience, I remember when everybody said Nick Markakis was a pitcher. And I remember when they said James Loney, you know, was a pitcher and all those, both those guys end up hitting in the big leagues and playing for a long time. And so I go in to see Michael Harris, he's pitching, he's a little disinterested on the mound, but he's touching 93 and uh, he pitched like three innings that day. And then he can't, they took him out and put him in center field. And oh my goodness, the personality came out. He was running balls down. He hit a triple. He slid hard into third base, almost knocked the third baseman into the dugout. I mean, this guy started to ooze with athleticism and energy and passion for the game. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this guy is not a pitcher. This guy is definitely a position player. And so I talked to most of my people in the scouting staff, and I said, uh, hey, we're going we're to switch this around. And then he came into our stadium before the draft. And he started hitting balls up against the chop house. So if you've ever been to Truist Park, that's a pretty, pretty good poke. 
So that's when we jumped in there and said, hey, we got to take this guy's position player. And I kind of convinced Alex because Alex was like, hey, he's not rated that high. And I was like, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of people sleeping on this one. Yeah. And it's certainly been borne out as being incredibly correct on that one. As you take over the Astros, when you look at the roster uh, going into spring training, what are your, I don't want to use the word areas of concern, but areas that you're you know going to be focused on to try to improve from what was the championship season? Yeah. So being that I don't know the, uh, the players that well, except for when we played them in 21, and I know some from seeing them on TV and things like that. And so I'm getting to know the players well. Uh, I'll rely on Dusty heavily and ask him, hey, what do you think you need? And then we'll try to go out and, and, and improve in those areas. I think it's going to be very important to evaluate these players and, and, and to get to know them a lot more than I know them right now. Uh, but I'm going to really rely on Dusty, the coaches, and some of the other members of the front office to, to, to walk me through this. But I'll have a stronger opinion as I see the players and I get a chance to evaluate them uh, on the field. I thought one of the – it's funny as you were answering that, I'm like, like what a dumb question that I, that I asked you because one of the great things I thought Alex Anthopoulos did when he took over the Braves was he waited on guys like Max Freed. He didn't immediately jump in and, and deal guys away that he hadn't gotten a chance to know. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. I told the guys here, I said, hey, I'm going to tell you guys this. I'm going to be slow to speak and quick to listen. I'm going to try to find out where, where some of the answers are to this before I jump in there and try to act like I have all the answers. I think that's uh, one of the big things you learn in scouting is you learn how to listen to your, your scouts. So I, I've learned how to listen over my career, uh, So which could cut back on making mistakes. All right, Dana. Well, congratulations again. Thanks for making time. I'm so happy for you. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys' support, and we'll see you out there. Rob Thompson is the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, who in Rob's first months as manager played all the way to Game 6 of the World Series. And, Rob, I've always you know, loved asking this question uh, of folks. I remember Brian Sitker having a great conversation with him about this after they won the World Series Tell me about some of the communication you've gotten from people that you uh, have known for years or maybe you went to high school with or, you know, uh, coming up through college or early in your professional career that you heard from in the aftermath of you guys having such a great season. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. You know, I've uh, I've talked to a lot of people that I haven't talked to in a long time and got a lot of really nice texts, you know, congratulations and things like that. So it's been really good. And, and, uh, you know, being a Canadian citizen, I, and I've said this uh, a few times in dinners and breakfasts that I've spoken at in, uh, in Canada is that once the, once Toronto got, got beat out last year, like I felt this sort of thrust of interest from Canada, the entire country. And, and it was really, really amazing to me, you know, can you give me an example of that, like how you felt that or something that was said or uh, something that you experienced? Yeah, it was just, you know, there was there was a lot of podcast requests and there was, um, you know, a lot of text messages from from different people in Canada from really across the country, just friends and, and teammates that, from the Olympic team and things like that, that uh, that I hadn't heard from in a long time. So it was really nice and really supportive. Uh, I got a lot of support. Or from from the University of Kansas, I got a nice uh, 
a nice video from all the players wishing us good luck when we when we got into the playoffs and, and from the head coach there, Dan Fitzgerald. And um, it was really nice. All right. You're a really humble person. Uh, so I'm sure that this experience, since you were on television and you know living in people's houses every night during the <laughs> World Series, that you get recognized more. Uh, what's an example that that surprised you? Well, I, I think I think the Philadelphia scene is is I'm a lot more recognizable there. But the little town that I live in in Canada, they just treat me like I'm Rob Thompson from Sarnia, Ontario. And I came in here to catch in the Intercounty League and and they kind of leave me alone. Uh, I really feel in Philadelphia, uh, you know, I go out to a restaurant with my wife and people recognize me. And, and that's nice. I, you know, they don't bother me, but but it. You know, we stopped. Uh, we went into. I've been in Philadelphia, in and out, probably four times over the over the course of the off season. And we stopped at a Cracker Barrel, and people were coming up. And you know, <laughs> this is a month after the World Series, and congratulating you. And you know, we're really happy for the club and all the players. And, and uh, yeah, so it's it's nice. It's different, but it's nice. How does your wife react to to that when uh, when that happens? Because I know my kids give me a hard time. <laughs> yeah, she just laughs because she just, you know, she knows who I am and and uh, what I think about celebrity and all that. And, uh, you know, she just she just laughs. She knows it embarrasses me to a certain degree anyway. All right. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of your team. Uh, what are they telling you about Bryce Harper? What's the latest? Um, yeah, so he's in his strengthening mode. And I think he's going to start doing some functional work probably. Once we get into March, towards the middle end of March, possibly, um, and then you know we're still shooting for the All Star break. And uh, you know Bryce is a quick healer, um, but everything's in line. He's doing well. Um, spirits are good, and I can't wait to see him. And, and can't wait to, for him to start ramping up again. With the benefit of twenty twenty hindsight, how remarkable is what he accomplished at the end of last year, given you know what uh, he was dealing with. Yeah, it's just, uh, it, it really is. And, and the transition, you know, not everybody can DH. Um, it's it's tough. And it, and it was tough for Bryce to start because he's so, you know, he, he really likes playing defense. He really feels like he's in the flow of the game when he's playing defense. So there was a transition there to to be the everyday DH. But, but boy, he got it. And, um, you know, he showed up at the right time. And, and uh, uh, boy, some big hits in that in that. Uh, playoffs and, and really at times carried the club what was your role in the uh, in the courting of trey turner and and uh, what kind of conversations uh, connection uh, communication have you had with him since he agreed to terms yeah so um we we ended up talking to all the four shortstops and uh i was in on all of them except for dansby swanson because my flight was was delayed and and eventually canceled out of out of toronto so i didn't get a chance to meet him but Real, you know, all three of them uh, that I met with were really impressive, and Trey especially. And and Trey was the guy that I I felt going in before we even met anybody that he was the guy that um, was probably the best fit for our club because he's high on base. We need that at the top of the lineup. Whether he's going to hit one or two, we'll figure that one out. But um, but he was really the guy that I thought would probably fit this club. He knows Schwarber, knows Harper, good friends, knows Kevin Long our hitting coach. And, and I think he's just going to be a perfect fit. We've texted back and forth a couple of times, but I can't wait to get him in here. We're going to only have him for a short period of time. 
and then he's going to go to the WBC. But I uh, can't wait to get him in here and get him with the guys. As I'm, as I'm sure you know, he turned down bigger a bigger offer from San Diego than what he signed for with you guys. How much could you feel his desire to play with the Phillies, who clearly were his number one choice going into the process? Yeah, I think I think there were a lot of factors there. You know, him being from – he wanted to stay on the East Coast, have spring training in Florida. His, his wife, who's wonderful gal um she's from new jersey parents are from new jersey and so she's close by and and uh, you know he wanted to he wanted to be in a place where he was comfortable and and i think with the friendships with schwarber and harp and kevin long i think this is probably the most the best place for him to be comfortable uh, i think turner is going to benefit from the new rules that we uh, see in place this year because of that great you know base running arrogance that he has uh who are some guys that you look at on your roster you think will benefit from this? Uh, I think I think a lot of guys really. You know, I think Brent, um, Bryson Stott will benefit a little bit. Brandon Marsh, JT will benefit. I mean, he's a great base dealer. I think I think there's a few guys now. You know, we got to make sure that we're not overdoing it. In that, you know, there, there's a certain amount of injury factor that goes into stealing a lot of bases and you really get banged up and we don't want to overdo it, but I think we're, we're going to benefit from it for sure. And the fact that JT is such a good thrower, I think we'll have more of a tendency to run than other teams against us. How much of a difference is going to make for left-handed hitters? Cause you watched it play out day after day after day with shifts. Yeah, I think, I think big time, uh, especially our two big left-handed hitters with Schwab and, and Harp, I, you know, I don't know what the number is, but it seems like that would be a very high number that they just pounded the ball right into the ship last year. And um, so I, I think that I think batting averages will go up for sure. And I think we'll benefit from it for sure. One thing that I, I mean, I heard about it from the Red Sox in 2021 uh, and then sort of saw it play from afar day after day with, with you guys last year, Kyle Schwarber's leadership uh, mm-hmm. as he gets older as a player. Um, what did you see in that? I think with Schwab, he's very self-deprecating. So he, he, he's really easy to talk to because he, he dogs himself way more than he dogs anybody else. And the, but one of the biggest things I saw with him was that he brought the young guys into the fold, uh, early hitting. He dragged guys out to hit off this curveball machine at two 30 in the afternoon and, and got to know them and, and made them feel comfortable so that they can perform at the highest level. And then once he gets in the clubhouse, he's all about fun. He is about preparation. He works very hard, but it's about fun, um, having fun with every everything you do. And, you know, he's a guy that when, because everybody goes through slumps, when he's going through a, a tough time, he's the guy over in the other corner of the, of the locker room helping somebody else that's going through a tough time. And, not many guys are like that. He's he's a pretty special guy. All right. As you go into spring training, for you, uh, in terms of trying to get back to the World Series or win the World Series this year, uh, what are some keys for you in terms of what's got to happen with the 2023 Phillies? I think stay healthy, number one. You know, our goal, my goal every year, whether I was the bench coach or third base coach or, or the manager, is to make sure that these guys are ready to play opening day at their highest level and be healthy. So there's a progression that you got to go through and you got to be careful with the guys. Um, I think that's, that's a key. A lot of people have asked me about complacency and I, I keep telling them, I don't think with this group, talk to me next year. 
if we if we win the World Series, and we'll talk about complacency. But you know, we won the National League Championship, but we didn't win the World Series, and that's really our goal. So I'm, I, although you got to try and keep your finger on it, I don't. That's not a major concern for me. But if we stay healthy and we do what we're supposed to do, I I think we're going to be in a really good spot. Yeah, and I think, Rob, part of the reason why I agree with you, you know, and who gives a crap what I think, I'm not in your clubhouse every day, (laughs) but you guys have so much fun. That's what jumped out to me is that your players seem to enjoy each other, which is a huge, over six months is a huge deal. It really is. And, and, you know, it's the music in the clubhouse. It's, it's Kevin Long in the cage. It's, it's Caleb in the bullpen. These get, you know, the, the coaches and the players really have a lot of fun together and the players, it's really a, a, a good group of, of people. And I said to my wife a couple of weeks ago, I said, I'm so excited to go to spring training and not because I'm the manager. It's just, I want to be around these guys because it's such a fun group to be with. And, and there's a difference between having fun and messing around and they don't mess around they have fun because once you start messing around you're 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 liable to get into some injury problems uh they don't mess around they they work hard they compete but they they have a lot of fun while they're doing it rob good to talk with you thanks buster i appreciate it dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites that's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. AJ Preller is the general manager of the San Diego Padres, and he is, according to legend, also an excellent pickup basketball player. AJ, uh, got a lot to ask you about the 2023 San Diego Padres, but I want to start with that. The legend is is that you have staffers, uh, you know, playing. Sometimes, uh, you know, you guys all join in a 5 a.m. basketball game on a regular basis. Uh, when when do you actually is that how much of that is true and how much of it is that uh you know i think urban legend that part i mean i think uh in terms of terms of how good uh like i am and the games are that's probably the legend but the uh the actual games yeah, every morning spring training especially but even during the year uh you know we get out there early and obviously spring training days out are out there early so we're, we're able to get access to a gym at 4 45 5 a.m and like anything, it, it's kind of crazy when you first start, and then pretty soon uh, you get used to it. Your body gets used to it, and you're able to get some exercise in before the day starts. So. Yeah, when I lived in San Diego and I covered the Padres, I used to play in a pickup game at Coronado High School. At the okay. same thing, it was like five thirty in the morning, and that was that was like the perfect time because then you'd kind of fly into your day. But how many folks do you have in that involved in that pickup game? We, you know, we've had staff wise, we've had. Uh, you know, we've, we've had some really competitive uh, group that, that can go out and really play against a lot of good players. Unfortunately, the last couple of years, uh, we've lost Preston Mattingly. He's become the, the farm director with the Phillies. We've lost Luke Merton, who's 
uh, become uh, overseeing like the director of hitting with, with, with the Phillies as well. Uh, we've lost one of our other staff members. So our team, we still have uh, Tony Gwynn Jr. jumps in there sometimes. Mike McCoy, director of hitting. We still have a good group. Uh, but we, we're, we're going to have to reload a little bit, just like any any decent team. So we got we got to kind of figure it out. So we lost a couple of guys in the last few years. Give me some cross-pollination. If you judge your own game using the 20 to 80 scout scale, okay, that you have in baseball. Uh, on the makeup side, you know, on the makeup side, it's, it, there's a lot of want to and will. Um, the body <laughs> right now is not not exactly cooperating at times. So, yeah, it's uh, – it's probably a uh, you know a, a hard trying uh, forty five. I don't know. What about what about uh, jump shot? What's your game? Drive into the hoop. I can. And this I can, sets up that this is all setting up a question about my colleague Tim Kirchin, who you play with. So yeah, no, Tim. Tim is definitely part of games. In the past, we used to have games in Scottsdale during spring training. Lee Smith, uh, David Force from Oakland, Farhan. Um, bunch of different bunch of different players would play a couple writers as well and and tim was one of them john shea so it was always a lot of fun but yeah i can i can dribble a little bit and shoot when i would just like anybody when you get hot but uh defense not a big part of the game defense is not a huge part but uh they bring other guys on the court to do that and hopefully make some shots so everybody knows tim as being such a nice genial person and i tell them because i play pickup with tim as well uh, that he has like this incredible Hulk thing that comes out when he gets uh, pissed off when something is going or his team's starting to lose. Uh, and over the weekend, he was describing the one brawl he had in his life uh, on a pickup basketball court. He was in his 40s uh, and someone threw a ball at him. Uh, what, what's your experience playing with Tim and how would you sort of assess his game? Tim's a good player, like very fundamentally sound, can shoot, can handle the ball. Uh, the guy that you want playing with you, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, you go into these games, you never really know like who can do what Tim, Tim pretty quickly, you know, a lot of respect for Tim. And I think out there in terms of, and he loves it, he loves to play and, uh, you know, I'm a skilled player. So I, I always love playing with Tim, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a few years now, but we always love playing. All right. How would you describe the off season work that you've done in your eyes, uh, you know, since you guys got knocked out? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we went into the offseason. Obviously, we made the trades at the deadline, you know, with Hader and with Soto and knowing we're going to have those guys in the mix and, you know, uh, and getting hopefully getting Fernando back this year, Tati. So, you know, I think pretty focused on, hey, it wasn't that we needed to do, you know, six or seven different things. If we could add one big bat into the lineup, that was an obvious focus. Uh, we knew like at first base DH with uh, Will Myers and Josh Bell and Brandon Drew being free agents, we're probably going to look to add there as well. And then, you know, we looked at, to bring back a few of the pitchers that, that, that contributed to our success last year and got Nick Martinez and Robert Suarez done early. So, you know, we, we obviously on the big bat front or, or the professional bat, you know, real hitter with Xander Bogarts, just all around, you know, one of the better players in the game here over the last, uh, you know, seven or eight years. Um, you know, from the DH first base side, Matt Carpenter and Nelson Cruz giving us some veteran leadership as well. And then on the uh, on the starting pitching front, you know, with Darvish, Schnell and Musgrove at the front of the rotation, you know, we looked uh, looked to add some depth and and with would bring back Nick Martinez. Um, you know, and then we, we're going to take a shot with Seth Lugo in terms of a guy that's been very successful, obviously in New York, but given an opportunity to start. Um, and then we've got some guys in the system that we like quite a bit. So that, that's what we tried to do this offseason, kind of round the club out, hit those two or three different areas. And, you know, it's, uh, it's you know, we'll, we'll get into spring training and see, see how the team looks. Yeah, on paper for me, that's the biggest question about you guys is the back end of the rotation. Um, you mentioned about Seth Lugo. Uh, I, I'm, tell me about your conversations with him and selling him and the idea of, hey, we're looking at you as a starter. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, honestly, like a team effort. You know, he had, he had the opportunity to talk with Ruben Niebla. 
um, you know, talk, talk with, you know, with, with Bob Melvin, talk with our scout, with, you know, some of our scouting group, start to some of our, our analytics team, just kind of talking again about like how we, we feel like, um, you know, this is something that, that we're intrigued by. It's a, it's a good delivery. He's a strike thrower. He's got the breaking ball. Uh, he's done it at times in New York. If it's better for the team down the road, he could slide back to the pen, but um, you know, we've, we've committed that, you know, early in the season, let's, let's give him an opportunity. And uh, he wants that. And, you know, at the end of the day, he, he really just wants to win and he's going to do what's right for the club. And uh, hopefully it's in a starting role for us. How much, uh, you know, day to day as you move forward through spring training, will your focus be on adding depth in that area of the team? Yeah, I think it's always an emphasis. You know, in 21, we felt like we had a lot of depth. You know, last year we were able to add Manaya before the season started for that purpose. You know, Mackenzie Gore stepped up. You know, you, you look at the teams that that younger guy potentially could step up. You know, and that, that's what we're going to look at this year. You know, we, we have, again, like giving Seth a chance and then, you know, looking at guys like Ryan Weathers and Jason Groom and Adrian Morey-Hone and then Julio Tehran potentially bouncing back. We'll have some good competition from that area. And, you know, we're going to need some guys probably internal and, you know, give, give those guys a chance and we'll get into the season and make sure we have enough starting pitching going forward. A lot of the media focus with your team this year is going to be on contract situations. Uh, Manny Machado has an opt-out, as you know, at the end of this season. Um, first off, have you kicked off those conversations at all, opened those conversations at all? And, and uh, you know, how do you plan on handling that during the course of the year? Yeah, I mean, I think with Manny, again, like um, we, we've had, you know, again, like, I, I think the, the conversation has been mainly that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look at this here in the next, uh, in the next couple, couple weeks and, you know, uh, and months going into the season. And Manny knows what we think about him. He's been a huge part of obviously what we've done here. Um, you know, his signing, you know, four years ago, uh, kind of spearheading the team, getting back into the playoffs a couple of times here in the last few years. He's, you know, coming off another MVP type season. We want him here with the Padres. We want him here a long time, but he's under contract. So it's more of Manny's decision, honestly, you know, kind of how this plays out with the opt-out at the end of the season. So I think what we've tried to do is just make it known that, you know, we, we, we value and appreciate him. We're going to listen to what he wants to say, and then we'll kind of figure out what's best for everybody here going forward with the idea that we want Manny here. You know, uh, when you acquired Juan Soto, you knew the, the numbers that had been out there in his contract talks with the Nationals. Uh, you know he's represented by Scott Boris, who typically takes his players into free agency. Where do you stand on those conversations with Juan? Yeah, I think with Juan, what we've, what we've talked about again, when we made the deal, we made the deal knowing we had you know three years with Juan, two and a half years, three pennant races. That's a lot of baseball. It's a lot of time, um, you know. But but again, like we obviously, you know, made a big trade, and I think we're going to explore everything we can to see, you know, what his appetite is to stay here in San Diego. You know, pretty clear with Scott, like that. Hey, we want to make sure we we, we round out the top. You know, we, we we look at addressing our current club and our current team. And you know, when we get into this time of year after the new year, we're going to start having these conversations and and into spring training. Um, you know, it's not going to be something that we talk about really into the season. I don't feel like, but it'll be something here in the next couple of weeks. And again, similar to Mandy, we'll kind of see where it's at. It's a little different situation because obviously Juan, you know, is is is, is with us under club under club control for the next couple of years. But we'll examine it, see what's out there, and. You know, again, make, making that deal, you make deals for guys like that, and, you know, with the concept of let's see if we can uh, if we can make them a Padre for a long time. And, you know, we'll we'll have some more conversations here going forward in the next, in the next few weeks. He obviously is a generational talent, especially when it comes to controlling the strike zone. What did you see in him the last two months of the regular season? And what do you make of uh, how he performed uh, in that time? Yeah, I think he'll he'll be the first to tell you. I mean, I, we sat down really like, you know, after the season and just, you know, with a lot of our players, but just sit down and kind of get their take on the year, get their take on things that went well and some things that 
that we can help them with, uh, you know, make their experience better and, and get them, you know, to, to perform at the highest level. And Juan was very honest. He said, you know, the deal is, it was a big trade. It was a big, you know, obviously a big story in baseball this year. And it's the first time he'd gone through that. And I think we saw it with, with both Hader, you know, with both Josh and Juan, they're, they're two of the best in the game and what they do. They're two A-lane type players and performers. And I think it was a new experience. And I think it, it uh, I think with Juan, the, the biggest thing that, that we saw was, you know, I think the, the best, the best guys ultimately is when they're not quite feeling their best and they're not at their best and they're still impactful. That's what we saw with Juan. So, I mean, he still think got on base at a 400 clip with us, um, you know, or close, close to that. But, you know, even though he, he admittedly wasn't like, Hey, the Juan Soto we've seen in, in Washington for the last four years and, you know, performing quite that level, you know, when you see guys when they're not quite at their best to do that, um, I think that just speaks to the level of talent he is and the type player he is. Fernando Tatis Jr., you guys have had a lot of conversations with him since you first found out about the injury last spring. And then, of course, he goes through the PED suspension. I'm curious from your perspective what you saw in him uh, as someone who is, uh, you know, evolving through these conversations. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a process. You know, and I think with Fernando, like, I think the first step was him, you know, owning up to, uh, you know, the fact that he you know, obviously made, made, made real mistakes and, you know, and, and uh, you know, both with the, you know, last off season in terms of, you know, like, uh, you know, like just, just in, in terms of like, you know, from, from minute one, exactly when he knew what he knew, I think there's, you know, that's, it's, it sounds like, again, like that's, that's a situation that he's learned from. And, you know, again, like in the, in the off season, I mean, into the season with the suspension and the first thing is just admitting like, Hey, there's some things here he's got to learn. He's a, he's a young player that a lot's been put on his plate. Uh, by everybody's handled a lot of situations well the last year uh, we got to learn and grow from those situations and that's really been the conversation with, with Fernando is hey why'd we get in these spots kind of what was the thought process um you know he's capable of so much on the field and off the field and you know he's committed himself a lot here in the offseason he's been in San Diego here the last uh you know the last uh, four to six weeks he was here early in the offseason got the surgeries he's in a good place right now in terms of uh, the rehabilitation component he knows he's got a lot to prove um, and he's got a lot to, to make up in, in the eyes of a lot of people and, and looking forward to seeing how he handles this season. Where do you want him to focus positionally before he rejoins you guys in late April? Yeah. I mean, like we, we haven't given him like the official, Hey, it's definitely this spot or that spot. He's been doing a lot of work in the outfield as well. Obviously the infield play for him. Um, you know, that's, that's his natural spot. That's what he's done his whole life. Um, but you know, I think when we signed Xander, you know, we, we, we did it with the idea Xander's going to play shortstop for us. Um, you know, and, and with Toddy, he gives us the ability to move him all over the field. I think he's intrigued with the possibility of, of going out to the outfield and trying that. And I think we'll, you know, we've kind of focused really in the last, in the last you know month or two on let's get healthy. Let's make sure the rehab process is good. Let's make sure the shoulder and the wrist are good. And then, you know, we'll, we'll really start digging in, you know, honestly, really here about February one with you know, what position exactly, what that skill set and practice needs to look at. I think that's really going to be for Bob and his staff the next couple of weeks, kind of start dialing in with conversations with Fernando and then, you know, making sure that he's prepared for the year. So last one for you. It wasn't a surprise when you guys landed Nelson Cruz. I remember once having a conversation with you about the first time that you laid eyes on him, which is an interesting story. Uh, you know, the, the, because clearly you, you were an important person in terms of how he, uh, came through his journey in baseball. Can you just describe that? Yeah, I mean, I think with Nelson, it's it's a you know again like I think from he was a, a you know like the the Texas teams there in the in the two thousands that you know they like went to the World Series back to back in ten and eleven. He was a trade that uh, 
you know, we, we, he was a guy that our staff or the scouting staff at the time and really focused on a guy that was a little older for the level, had been a great performer in the minor leagues, um, you know, and, and just seeing a guy with big power, big arm, um, you know, that, that ultimately just hadn't quite, hadn't quite, you know, figured it out the highest level and, and made a deal there. John Daniels made a great trade with the Brewers, getting Delson kind of as, a, as another piece in that deal. And then seeing his development, he was a guy that kind of kept, kept just really dominating the minor leagues and would get to the big leagues and not quite get over the, over the hump. I think at one moment being the, the, uh, the scouting genius that we are, I, I think I talked to Nelson about, well, you ever thought about pitching? And, uh, he reminds <laughs> me about 450 home runs later, but watching his career, Scott service, I know in him, I think they opened up his stance at one point in time. He credits that to kind of changing his luck at the big league level and then kind of getting him to a different place. And, just seeing what he's been able to do against the best pitchers, the best competition, everybody off the field, you know, again, a guy that, uh, that, that here over, you know, over his careers, he's done a lot in the community. He's, he's made himself like a real team leader. I think all those things kind of led having some history, knowing kind of his story and his background, uh, I think all kind of led us to, uh, to Nelson this off season. And, you know, I think he just wants to win. One thing he hasn't done in his career is win a world series. He's trying to get that ring. And I think it's going to be a big, big asset for us this year. Yeah, just specifically, when's the first time you laid eyes on him? I saw Nelly. Nelly was more uh, like Nelly was more like when we were making that deal. You know, I was able to see him in the minor league. So yeah, and again, he was a guy that as we went to uh, to go ahead and make that deal, it was uh, always fun. Like when you win, like I think for those Lee deal, and um, you know that was the front part of the deal. And then you know have a guy in the minor leagues that that uh, that's got real tools and talent. I think is uh, is always a big. You know, it's, it's always a lot of fun and see somebody like that develop. You know, it's been been fun to watch. All right, AJ. Thanks for doing this. Good to talk with you. I'll see you out in uh, Arizona. Hi, Buster. I appreciate it. We'll see you here in a couple of weeks. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. And this year, Sarah, on Saturday night, you were the winner of the Casey Stangle You Could Look It Up Award at the Baseball Writers Association America Awards Dinner. Uh, I saw you in the VIP room beforehand. Uh, you were up on the dais with all these major leaguers. Uh, it was really cool to see their response to your uh, your speech that night. We're going to hear that in a second. But tell me about your experience and who was who was it fun to meet? Oh my goodness! First of all, the first thank you for that night goes to you with your wonderful introduction of me, as everyone can hear. I'm still regaining my voice after that weekend. I know my voice has been through its trials and tribulations, but uh, today we're talking about having lost my voice after speaking to so many people on Saturday, which was so, so wonderful. And uh, I was in that VIP room, which was pretty wild seeing everybody and Julio Rodriguez came up to me he asked his VR guy to come up to me and say hey could he come over he was an outstanding guy exactly as we hope and expect he would be he is that guy he is him as the kid would say and he was so so kind yeah, he really is. He, he's great. If anybody, you know, follows him on social media, uh, you know, you hear stories behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, in 2023, he's, he's going to be one of the bigger stars, no doubt about it. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 10.8. So 
Yandi Diaz signed an extension this past week, as did Jeff McNeil. They were both in the top five, the lowest strikeout rates in the majors last year. McNeil at 10.4, he ranked third. Yandi Diaz at 10.8, he ranked fifth. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of these guys recently on here. Luis Arise was first at 7.1, Stephen Kwan 9.4%. And then between Jeff McNeil and Yandi was Alejandro Kirk at 10.7. We talk so much about so many other facets of the game these days and not striking out is still very much valued and that helped both of them in those cases. Number two. Number two is 31 or 31%. So we've talked about how over the last kind of few months, Buster and I have both worked on these top 10 lists for players and individual positions. And the 31% is for Tristan McKenzie. That was the put-away rate on his curveball this year. So put-away rate is the percentage of two strike pitches that lead to a strikeout. So I just thought, you know, I love to shine a spotlight on a player and then we don't necessarily talk about a whole lot. That was the fourth best my put-away rate in the major this year. Number one. Number one is 176. So that was Nathaniel Lowe's weight of run screen and plus in the second half this past season. That was second best in the majors behind only Aaron Judd. And I've been wanting to talk about this for a really long time. I still think the Rangers need a little bit more offense heading into this year. But I don't think we talked about the fact that Nathaniel Lowe of the Rangers had the second best second half of anyone in the majors last year. He was third in slugging percentage, second in batting average. But he was second to only John. In that win of runs, Brandon. Yeah, he that uh, we just had Hembo on, and he thinks that Corey Seager potentially is a good uh, MVP candidate to bet on because mm-hmm. uh, defensive shifts and how he might benefit because he lost so many hits to it. So Rangers are an interesting team, uh, but as I mentioned to Hembo, Sarah, I, I you know that division is so stacked. You've got the Angels, who clearly are getting better. They've got good pitching, and they have Otani, and they have Mike Trout. Uh, you've got uh, you know the Rangers with the improvements they have. You've got the Houston Astros, who are merely the defending champions. And then you have the team that I'm calling, kind of fall in love with this offseason. That is the Mariners. When I look at the balance with the rotation, the dominance of the bullpen, the everyday lineup with a lot of different options, uh, you know, the one concern I have, and they can address it during the year, is the need for a left-handed slugger. But I kind of like the Mariners as we go into spring training. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I love them. And as you say, I mean, if there is one team 
maybe if there are two teams that we can count on to address a need during the season, it's the Padres and then the Mariners with Jerry DePoto. So I really like them. We were just talking about Julio at the outset. We were talking about off the field, but on the field, I just wrote a story saying that, you know, if we ever see a 40-40 season again, he's a guy who could do that. Needs going to be an MVP type candidate player for years to come for them. I really like them there. I think the Astros are going to be good, but not as dominant as last year. And I think that could really open a window for them. So I'm not talking you out of this one. I'm all on board. The All-Star Game is in Seattle this year. Uh, There's a lot of great momentum off last year. Maybe 2023 will be uh, the year of Seattle. And the year of Peoria, Arizona, because I'm kind of flirting with the idea of picking Padres Mariners in the World Series. I love it. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we got that with the Nationals and the Astros a couple of years ago because they shared a complex right. all the time. And I remember trying to figure out if that had ever happened before, which is one of the sillier things I've ever looked into. So I'd love to be doing it again. I mean, I love it. And for me, obviously, I went to school in Chicago. And I always used to get confused with Peoria because there's a Peoria, Illinois. And then I would always think in my head, okay, that's where the Cubs are. But no, I know that's where the Padres, the Mariners are. I love that ballpark. Hope to be there soon. And I love that as an extra sort of storyline with that uh, World Series pick. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Sarah. Uh, It was uh, great to see you over the weekend. A lot of fun. And thanks for doing this. Of course, thank you for having me, and thank you for everything. Sarah Langs graduated from the University of Chicago and began working as a researcher at ESPN. And we all noticed right away how she would send thank you notes in emails or text. You might get a thank you for letting her be part of baseball tonight, or a thank you for using one of her ideas on a show, a thank you for asking her questions and quoting her work in an article. A thank you for an invitation to jump on a podcast. The notes reflected Sarah's happy enthusiasm for her work, and in particular for baseball. People always say that nobody loves baseball more than our friend Tim Kirchin, who's here tonight. Uh, I know that Tim would tell you nobody loves baseball more than Sarah Langs. In her first World Series assignment in 2016, you might have seen her napping in the seats at Wrigley Field in between the 7 a.m. Sports Center hits and feeding stats to baseball tonight at midnight. And of course, she sent thank yous after that. She told me once that the thank yous were about gratitude, yes, but also a signal that she was ready for what was next. Sarah was an avid runner, someone who raced half marathons. And when she first began to experience frustrating symptoms a few years ago, she went from doctor to doctor seeking answers. Finally, in the summer of 2021, Dr. Neil Schneider, a neurologist at Columbia University, diagnosed Sarah with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Soon after that, Sarah wrote to Dr. Schneider a thank you note. She explained recently, I just had a huge level of gratitude for having the guts to say it. At least now we knew what was going on, 
I would say we were very grateful for him for that day and for afterward. That is our friend Sarah Langs, who continues her amazing work in demonstrating baseball is the best. She is this year's recipient of the Casey Stangle You Could Look It Up Award. Sarah? speech perfectly because I want to thank a ton of people and when I spoke with Zach Buchanan of The Athletic back in December I talked to him about how I have received this outpouring of love and appreciation especially since I shared my diagnosis in October but there are so many people who are not faced with something like this we're just as beloved and appreciated, appreciate, excuse me. And I want to make sure that those people know it. And I am trying to make that my mission in addition to making sure everybody loves baseball, to make sure that we tell people in our everyday lives how much we love and appreciate them, not just because something has gone wrong. So I have a pretty long list. I promise I will go through it quickly. But of course, first, my parents who love baseball, and none of this would have ever happened without their love and support. And of course, their parents as well, especially my mother's mother and father, who gave her that love of baseball of Willie Mays, my father, of course, grew up rooting for Roberto Clemente. I want to thank my best friend since college, Haywan Park, who was not a baseball fan when I met her. And I did not imply that she needed to be one, but now she is the type of fan who lives out in California and went to two Mets games by herself when they played the Giants just because she wanted to see baseball. I want to thank my boyfriend, Matt Williams, who is the single most dedicated person I've ever met. He is dedicated to absolutely everything he does. He is so dedicated that he is researching NBA Countdown right now on ESPN. I am so proud of him for doing that because I would do the exact same if he, if he had an award. So we will be celebrating him soon. I want to thank Mandy Bell. This is going to be hard. She's right here, and she's always right here. Uh, she made me a bridesmaid sling. I didn't think I would ever be for anybody. And she has been there for so many moments in my life. She raised more than $100,000 for ALS research by running a half marathon. She is a superwoman. And as 
they unlock my phone. I know what goes next. Anyway, my neighbors, Abigail and Molly, two of my other best friends, Lana and Marissa, I want to thank Buster. None of this would be happening without Buster sending me an email in April 2017 saying, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? I had never even thought of doing something like that, and here we are. We'll be doing the podcast this week, I'm sure. I want to to thank Carl Ravish and the rest of our Sunday baseball dream team, including Eduardo Perez, David Cohn, Tim Kirchin, Kelly Carey. I want to thank Greg Colley, who makes baseball tonight and me run in so many ways, and Boog Shambi. I want to thank the late Craig Ben Keeperman of ESPN Stats and Info, some of you who have been in the media scene for a while may have known him back in his ABC days. He was an incredible manager, an incredible friend. I want to thank Greg Clayman, Matt Myers, Andrew Simon, the best bosses I've ever had. I knew I wanted to work here the moment I spoke with Greg in my interview. I want to thank Jason Bernard, Mike Petriello, and the rest of our MLB content team and social team. I work with such amazing people. And I want to thank my MLB Network family, Brian Kenny, Marty Montalto, Ian Theodoridis, so many others, Adam Burke, who I've been lucky enough to work with in two places. And I want to thank two final people, my sixth grade English teacher, Josh Backrack, who was the first person, I think, who wasn't related to me to realize this was all possible. And my friend from college, JT Guads, who was probably the second on that list, and all of the players, managers, broadcasters, everyone who was part of this baseball world for embracing me and for doing all of these things that make us love baseball so much. So thank you, everybody, so, so much. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Thursday. And we, you, dear listener, have heard uh, Sarah Lang's speech, Buster's beautiful introduction. Um, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, recently, you'd be familiar with Buster's introduction. I, I thought the whole thing was so, so lovely. And I, I loved Sarah's message. And it was just classic Sarah, you know, just being thankful and grateful for the people in her life and, and what she has. And um, I love the note about the first two people who, you know, kind of took notice in her love of baseball and, you know, put her on a path toward, you know, a career essentially at a very young age. So, I, I mean, the whole thing was very touching. She posted it on social media at like 1245 on Tuesday morning, like 1245 a.m. And I was up editing a podcast and I was like, well, I can watch this now and cry or I can get up in the morning and watch it and cry. So I opted for the evening and then went to bed. So it looked like a lovely evening and a wonderful weekend at Soundbuster. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really amazing. And as uh, uh, my partner Liz mentioned to me, uh, Sarah got more standing ovations than Aaron Judge in a New York event, right? And that was so cool. It was so cool to see the faces of the players reacting to her, responding to her. So that was fun, Sarah. Yeah, I think what stood out to me is like, you can just really capture who she is as a person. She's amazing. She's so bubbly. She's so happy all the time. And it just made me so emotional that 
just seeing who she is and then the response to her. That's what really stood out to me, like you were mentioning, is just how many lives she's touched in the process. Boy, and she continues to touch a lot. I I, I think, you know, as time goes on, you're going to hear more and more about Sarah and, and uh, folks in baseball uh, reaching out to her. And it's become, you know, I saw Julio Rodriguez tweeted back at her, uh, I think a couple weeks ago. And then Julio Rodriguez, as she just talked about, hanging out at uh, before the in, in the green room before <laughs> that dinner, the VIP room. That was kind of cool. No big deal. No big deal. All right, let's get to the tweets here. Uh, Slings, the irregular Albertan at Slingsbot writes in, using Cap Anson as an example of the absurdity of the character clause is a bit rich considering he was elected to the hall while the color barrier was still in effect, but his presence along with others like Landis could be made more palatable by amending their plaques instrumental in the implementation and maintenance of baseball's color barrier broken by Jackie Robinson in 1947 or some such. What say you? I'm kind of surprised this isn't a thing. It's kind of, it seems like kind of obituary-esque where you need to acknowledge all facets of a person's life. Um, what do you think? Well, first off, that's not what the plaques are used for. You know, I, I, this really came to mind, you know, decade ago when I started writing about, you know, a way to sort of thread the needle with the steroid candidates was if there's information on them, just put it on the plaque, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Barry Bonds, investigating the Balco, uh, put that on his plaque, but that's not how the Hall of Fame views it. It's a room of honor. They want to keep everything on the plaque to be entirely positive. And I don't think... I, I really, I think you can, you know, you can underscore the absurdity of the use of the character clause now by mentioning how many people who are in the Hall of Fame would not pass the character clause and the per, including the person who wrote the character clause, you know, former commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis, he would not pass his own character <laughs> clause based on what we know about him. Oh, the irony. Wow. All right. Uh, Portland Maverick at the Battered Bees writes in Buster, as much as I like to watch Scott Rowland play, it's hard to understand his Hall of Fame induction. Is it just looking at war? Surely Gary Sheffield deserves more attention. 509 home runs and one of the most feared batters in his time. Does that merit attention? Uh, look, uh, we talked last week about how, uh, you know, the induction of, of uh, you know, players uh, through the special committees has changed. I think some of the, you know, the bars has lowered the bars. So you know, Harold Baines, Lee Smith are two examples of that. Gary Sheffield gets disqualified because he's in the Mitchell report. And that's not what I believe. You know, if uh, I, I think Gary Sheffield is a hall of famer, but he is linked to PDs, which means he's never getting on the hall of fame officially through an official MLB document. As much as, as absurd as I thought the whole Mitchell report, the missile investigation was, uh, as much of a travesty as it was, the bottom line is a lot of writers hide behind that in order to disqualify Gary Sheffield. Last one for today, RL Foxy T Rex writes in, Hey Buster, with Otani's impending free agency, I'm seeing talk about baseball's biggest stars should be in baseball's biggest market, but doesn't it help the game grow more when the biggest stars are in smaller markets where they can draw more fans? Yes. I mean, I loved it last year when Jose Ramirez signed with Cleveland. You know, I covered Tony Gwynn, who it was great that he spent his whole career with the Padres. Baltimore's not necessarily as small a market as San Diego, but it was great that Cal Ripken stayed there. You know, he could have gone and made money, more money elsewhere with the Mets or with the Yankees. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter throughout the week, and we will return next week with another podcast. I don't know, Buster, if you could top yourself with this guest list here, and I don't expect you to either because uh, I think we just had a phenomenal show today. 
It really was. Uh, the, the great guests and, and great insights into what's going on. And some negotiations, too. Like AJ talking about uh, Manny Machado and what they're going to do with he and Juan Soto. That was really interesting. All right, that's it for today. My thanks to AJ Preller, Rob Thompson, Dana Brown, Sarah Hembo, Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.